Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, please turn to uh, Esther chapter 3. I'm going to jump around a little bit uh, in just a moment. Um, I actually had a vision for a walk-off Grand Slam. But since Pastor Warner's sermon, um, I've reduced it to a hope of a sacrifice bunt where uh, I can advance a runner and get thrown out at first. But hopefully, again, some good can come. We want to minister from uh, uh, Esther chapter 3, and I'll jump to chapter 5, only reading a couple of verses in each place. Um, a few years ago, when my son went to uh, Southern California to take over uh, one of uh, the El Paso churches there, uh, he was there only about a week or so, and on the street behind where he lived, uh, a brutal, horrible murder took place where a woman, her husband, and two of their children were slain, and it was a, a very horrible scene and atmosphere. My son could hear the commotion, uh, sirens all night long, got up in the morning, rope uh, taped uh, off area, uh, police everywhere, and investigators are going throughout the neighborhood as they're investigating this. They finally discovered that it was the daughter, the 16-year-old daughter and her boyfriend, uh, who had murdered her mother, stepfather, and two of her siblings. One of her siblings was stabbed but survived a small child. And they found out that the reason that she did this was that the parents, the mother and the stepfather, would not allow her to take a vacation with her boyfriend. She's 16, he's 18. Uh, this enraged her, upset her really bad, and she perpetrated this horrible, horrible crime. Now, obviously, this action on their part represents the loss of everything. Because as a result of what she and her boyfriend have done, they will spend probably the rest of their lives or a good portion of it in prison. Although in California, we have no idea. They may be out already. Who knows? This is called dying on the wrong battlefield. And while this may be an extreme example, it underscores a tendency of human nature that is in all of us. And that is the tendency that we have, the vulnerability that we have to misinterpret life, to overreact, to get involved in a fight that you never needed to get involved with. And this becomes and can become very costly and very expensive. Christians, pastors, pastors' wives, disciples, beware. Because you are going to have to fight battles in life. How many can say amen to that? But you have to be very discerning. You have to learn to exercise self-control. And while everything in you may be propelling you onto a battlefield, it may very well be the wrong one that is ultimately not worth fighting. You have to choose very wisely the battles that you're going to fight in life. And I want to read, this may be a little bit of a different text for this sermon, but I couldn't get this out of my mind, and I want to use the story of Haman... Uh, as uh, the example for the text, and we're going to look at a number of other things as well that will 
underscore this uh, problem and this issue in our lives. I want to preach uh, on dying on the wrong battlefield. We're going to start in Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman, to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. And then skip over to chapter 5, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. So Haman went out that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate that he did not stand or tremble before him. He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, went home, and sent and called for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman told him of his great riches, multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in, with the king to a banquet that she has prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Verse 13, yet all this avails me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and so he had the gallows made. And then chapter 7, verse 10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Now I want to talk first of all about the unnecessary battles of life. And I want us to accept the fact that this is an area where all of us are vulnerable. Whether you are insecure unstable or some quirk in your personality or, or suspicion or the misguided filter through which you view life or as a result of offense, you and I are very easily lured onto the wrong battlefields of life. And I declare to you this morning that the consequences of allowing that to happen can be catastrophic. The Apostle Paul warned and said in Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. He's referring to the unnecessary battles that saints fight with each other and how the consequence can be the you can consume, you can destroy a brother or a sister. These are the relational conflicts that are unnecessary. You have reacted or overreacted to a slight or an oversight or an offense, and now you're in a pitch battle that has become the obsession of your life. You think about it day and night, and everything is perceived through the filter of this, over, of this uh, uh, conflict 
where you have great calling, we have great position, we have great privilege, great blessing, great power with God, and yet this undermines all that, and we're willing to lay all of that aside and allow this to become the obsession of life. The Apostle Paul on several occasions warned against religious disputes, the unnecessary battles. Uh, nothing is more diversionary, and he recognized that, that there are certain arguments that are not worth making. In the book of 1 Timothy 1.4, nor give heed to false and endless genealogies which cause disputes uh, rather than godly edification which is in faith. And again in 1 Timothy 6, uh, he is proud knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which comes envy and strife and reviling and evil suspicion, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Don't waste your time. Engaging in a religious dispute or an argument. And, uh, and again, he says in 2 Timothy 2, uh, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, uh, knowing that they generate strife. Uh, and so in the mix of all of this, uh, we have the, the, the vulnerability uh, that our own carnality brings to the table. Uh, and in some cases... There is enough material for the devil to work with in your life that it's just a matter of time before you are lured onto a diversionary battle that is not worth fighting that may very well become your undoing. Let's examine the text. Here's a man with a great opportunity, great privilege, incredible position, and yet he is destroyed because he allowed himself to be drawn onto one of the wrong battlefields of life. Haman is an interesting character. Unger's Bible Dictionary says that this was an uh, Agagite. He was probably a descendant of the royal families of the Amalekites, and during Persia's expansion, he was taken either captive or hostage. And so Haman is a foreigner. He is an, uh, 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 he is an Amalekite, and he is a captive that has been taken into Persia. And he goes from a very low position to a very high one. Out of nowhere, it seems. We don't have all the background here, but we do know that he's come from low to high, and he now is able able to experience a level of favor and blessing. He's been promoted to the highest position in the land. Things have happened to him that he could have only fantasized or dreamed about. And the Bible says that after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him in the land. So here is a life now with incredible privilege a life with purpose, a life with opportunity to accomplish and do great things, the boundaries that restrain, the financial boundaries, the relational boundaries have now been lifted. He has wealth, he has relationship, and he can do and accomplish almost anything that his heart desires. He should have been overwhelmed with awe and wonder and gratitude and appreciation. And how many know there is an analogy here for every 
every single one of us uh, because every Christian here, every disciple, uh, and every pastor, you and I uh, have been given advantage uh, beyond what we deserved. Uh, We have been honored beyond what we are worthy of. Uh, We have been brought from a very low position, less than a low position uh, in most cases, mine certainly, uh, to a very high position. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians uh, and says that he has delivered us from the powers of darkness uh, and translated us uh, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, David, uh, we have this incredible uh, 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 biography of David's life, the most insignificant uh, in his father's house. Uh, He's anointed to be king, uh, and some years after the anointing, uh, he is sitting upon the throne, uh, and I think three or four times he makes this statement, uh, who am I, Lord, uh, that you have brought me this far? Uh, How many can say that tonight? Who am I, God, that you would have paid attention, uh, that you would have loved me uh, and seen me while I was low uh, and in obscurity uh, and bound in my sin. Uh, David wrote, What is man that you are mindful of him, uh, and the son of man that you visit him? Uh, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works uh, of your hands. We are the most uh, privileged people on the face of the earth. Uh, We occupy the highest of positions uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, We are honored sons uh, and honored daughters. Uh, We have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, We have opportunity. We have privilege. We have calling. uh, And our lives can be now spent uh, for something worthwhile. Uh, And if God uh, did nothing else for us, if nothing else ever happened, uh, we are the most privileged and blessed people on the face of planet earth. We have come from less than nothing, unworthy, undeserving, and now we are treated as honored sons. And it is for this reason that it is astonishing where Haman ends up. For the fact that it was so trivial It was so unnecessary. It is a fool's errand, a rabbit trail, a diversion. Haman made the fatal mistake of fighting on the wrong battlefield. He elevated a minor to the place of a major, something that became the entire obsession of his life when in the scheme of things was something that did not matter at all. And what, a, what an incredible statement it is when it says, yet all this avails me nothing. He knows the privilege, the children, the wealth, the position, the honor, and he says all of that means nothing as long as Mordecai does not bow down. How many here uh, have ever elevated uh, a minor into a major? Uh, You've allowed what is essentially uh, a small, insignificant matter uh, to become the obsession of life. Uh, You are running the risk, beloved, of losing it all. You know, we say that character is revealed in times of trial and difficulty, and it is. But it's also revealed in times of blessing, in times of privilege, in times of advance, in times of promotion, and in times of favor. And what is revealed here in the text is the filter 
through which Haman views life. We all have a filter. Can you say amen? You don't just see things the way they are. We view them through the filter of our own perspective and our own perception. Sometimes that filter is born of life experiences, our prejudices, the level of maturity that we may have achieved or not achieved, the development of our character, the level of carnality. All of these things work together to construct the filter through which we live life. People that are, for example, unstable or suspicious or driven by bitterness or hatred or emotionally immature, life is going to be viewed through that filter. People don't see things the same way. Someone with one filter may view it one way. Another with another filter may view it another way. This person over here, an offense happens, and they go ballistic. Another person over here, the same thing happens to them, but they're able to blow it off, and they're able to move on. When Mordecai, doesn't bow down to Haman. This becomes the defining moment of his life. Now we can only assume the filter through which Haman viewed life. He is an Agagite. He is an Amalekite. These are the traditional enemies of Jews. So he has a predisposition to hate the Jewish people. And so when Mordecai doesn't bow down, this filter comes to the surface and it causes him to react and to overreact. And what this filter does is that it has distorted reality. This is where we get the term where we describe people that are living in a parallel universe. Reality is over here, but we're living over here. Reality says this is not a big deal, Haman. If Mordecai doesn't bow down, it is not going to change one thing about your position. It is not going to take one dime off of your wealth. It means absolutely nothing. Zip, zero, nada. That is what reality says. But you see, Haman is living in a parallel universe where reality doesn't really matter. It's his perception. We have another stunning example of this in 1 Chronicles 19. It happened after this that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died. His son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came to Hanan in the land of the people of Ammon to comfort him. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, Do you think David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? Therefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved them, cut off their garments in the middle of their buttocks, and sent them away. So here is the issue. You know, it's very frustrating when there's a difference between what is intended and what is perceived. And so here David, out of goodwill, sends a delegation to honor and to comfort and to bless this king. But you see, they have a filter that distorts reality. They are suspicious. 
people by nature. And so therefore they misinterpret life. They act and they react and they end up dishonoring David's delegation, humiliating them, and that it resulted in a war where 47,000 men died. All because people were living in a parallel universe Their filter uh, looked at reality, uh, but so twisted and distorted it, uh, it caused them to live in a parallel universe. Uh, They were drawn onto a wrong battlefield of life. In our text, we have the classic case of misinterpreting life. Haman is blessed. He's promoted. Everyone is paying homage to him, the Bible says, except Mordecai, uh, but it is not good enough for him. How many times have you allowed something that reality says is insignificant, doesn't matter, is not going to change anything about your life, your position? It may be an irritation. Yes, I'll give you that. But how many times have you allowed the insignificant to become the major issue of life that you think demands a response and a reaction. You know, if Haman had not reacted the way he did, he would have gone on with life, could have gone on with life, with success, slightly irritated. The point that I'm making here is that this circumstance did not demand a response, and this is the problem. You are responding and reacting to things that aren't demanding a response. They're not. They don't need a response. Now I want to look with you secondly at the consequences of fighting on the wrong battlefield because this is what we don't think about. Reacting and entering on a wrong battlefield can feel pretty good because usually it's driven by carnality and carnality can feel good when you satisfy it. We have the story of David and his conflict with Nabal in the book of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. We know the story uh, how that during the winter months, David, uh, uh, without being asked to, is protecting uh, Nabal's uh, servants and his livestock. Uh, and when spring comes, uh, he sends a delegation to Nabal and asks for food. Uh, Nabal rejects him, uh, mocks him, uh, sends them on their way. And when they bring the message back to David, uh, David girds his sword. Uh, he becomes enraged. Uh, he intends to kill Nabal and all his male servants. Uh, and while he's on his way, uh, he is met by Abigail the wife of Nabal, who knows that her husband is a jerk. And so she says these words to him, It shall come to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you king over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offensive heart to my Lord. She's saying, You know what, David? You have a future. You have been called to be king of the nation We see that she's just part of the rank and file of the nation of Israel at that time. She later becomes David's wife, but for now she's just one of the population. And so there's obviously a groundswell of support and recognition that one day David is going to be king. And as she's watching this scene play out, her husband has offended him. David is now going to go to war. And she intervenes, and she essentially is saying, David, this is not worth your time.
time, your effort, your labor, a catastrophe could result. You could get hurt or injured. You could end up jeopardizing your future. You ought to think about the consequences, David, of what could go wrong and what could happen here. There could be a consequence to your ill-advised campaign that you're going to regret. We have the story of the death of King Josiah. Good people can die on wrong battlefields. King Josiah, a good and a righteous king, higher compliments are paid to him than any other king of Israel, but he entered into an ill-advised conflict. He was warned by God not to go. He ignores that warning, and the Bible says, nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face, but disguised himself, did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God, and he ends up getting killed as a young man in an ill-advised battle. And remember, this is not a Haman. This is a good man who picked the wrong time not to listen to God. And shortly, even after this, the Bible says, Now before Josiah there was no king like him uh, who turned to the Lord with all of his heart uh, and all of his soul, with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, uh, nor after him did any arise like him. Uh, So he is a reference point uh, of a righteous king. But you see, uh, even good men and women, even good pastors with good hearts uh, can make a blunder, a catastrophic blunder, uh, and allow yourself, this is how vulnerable we are, and allow yourself to enter into a wrong battlefield, the consequences of which can be catastrophic. I want to talk here about the two consequences that at least are communicated in our text. The first is that when you enter into an, on the wrong battlefield, innocent people die. We are not talking, when we talk about the battles of life, we're not talking about a controlled environment. There is always spillover. In any battle, you can have the best general, the best equipped army, uh, the most most modern munitions, the best battle plan. And how many know uh, that the best plans can go awry? Uh, Warfare is is chaotic by nature. Uh, And if you read some of the great battles of history, uh, where the battle ended up was very far uh, from where the generals had hoped or wished or desired or planned on. Uh, And the point here is that this is not a controlled environment. Uh, There is always spillover. And in the unnecessary battles of life, innocent blood will always be shed. Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow. Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, he sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom. Now, because Haman has decided, To enter into a battlefield that is nothing short of insane, people are going to die. Innocent people are going to die that have nothing to do with the original offense. They have nothing to do with it. When the news spread throughout the kingdom uh, that the day had been set, uh, a date certain to destroy all the Jews, the Jews are wailing, uh, they're weeping, uh, they don't understand. Uh, This came out of nowhere. Uh, They have no idea the source or the origin or the reasonings. Uh, They are completely innocent. Uh, And this is the inevitable spillover uh, 
It is always the consequence of your insistence on engaging in an unnecessary battle driven by your own carnality. In the story that I read about David and the uh, misinterpreting of his uh, overture to the king of Ammon, uh, the Bible says that the result of that was that when David got word, uh, he mounted an army uh, and they went into war against the Ammonites and their allies, the Syrians. uh, And the Bible says the Syrians fled from Israel. Uh, David killed 7,000 charioteers, 40,000 foot soldiers, uh, and killed Shopak, the commander of the army. Uh, These people uh, would have been fine if the king of Ammon had just received, if he had just had a filter that did not so twist and distort reality, if he had just received the overture, given the servants a benefit of the doubt that there was good intention, these people would have been fine, but instead 47,000 innocent have to die because one man allowed reality to be distorted. This is a tragedy that is beyond description. It is the death of the innocent that is the heartbreaking consequence when it didn't have to happen. We've had pastors leave our fellowship. Some of them left with good, strong, relatively healthy churches, despite the fact that they were the pastors of them. Good people, many of them, but became the innocent victims of one man's distortion of reality. And now today, many of those churches no longer exist. Many of those pastors, most, nearly all of them, are no longer in ministry. Lives are flushed. Destinies are lost. And it's the death of the innocent that is the greatest tragedy and the greatest consequence. When you get involved, listen to me very carefully. When you insist on being lured onto a wrong battlefield in life, you declare a death sentence on some innocent victims. Think of all the people that leave churches. Somebody gets in a squabble. That squabble driven by carnality starts spreading. People take sides, and all of a sudden you have whole blocks of people leaving congregations. Their destinies and their futures will forever be altered. They just can't go somewhere else and serve God. The second consequence is that you will either diminish and weaken your position, or in the worst case scenario, you will completely lose your position. Haman pays the ultimate price. He insisted on driving this to a conclusion, satisfying his ego, and it says in Esther 7.10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai in every unnecessary battle. Listen to me very carefully. In every unnecessary battle, there are always factors that you don't know about that would probably change how you would go about this situation. For instance... Queen Esther is a Jew. 
the queen that the king loves. So Haman decides it's going to destroy Mordecai. It's going to destroy all the Jews. But he fails to factor in, maybe I don't have all the facts. I know that you are all-knowing. And by the time you get to your overreaction, you've got all the facts in front of you. But everyone else here functions with a disadvantage most of the time when it comes to the temptation to enter onto the unnecessary battles of life. And that is we don't have all the facts. Beware of what you don't know about. You don't know everything. Some of you are going, really? (laughs) You don't know everything. And it's what you don't know that becomes your undoing. The biggest mistakes I've made, I know, I know, but I have, The biggest blunders in ministry, the biggest mistakes I've made is when I have reacted without all the facts. I get somebody right here, you, and they're saying, but, 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 it was because, and this, uh, oh. Are you okay? You know, sometimes... One little piece of information, like Esther is a Jew, would change everything. Just maybe Haman would have backed off. Either found another way to resolve this or just dropped it and moved on with life. Beware of what you don't know about. But instead, you're going to lash out and you're going to lose your position Haman, before he hanged himself, before he was hanged rather, was reduced to a pathetic figure begging Esther for his life. You read the story for yourself. Many of you are familiar with it. Here's a man from a high position, from promotion, from wealth, where the king has ordered everyone to bow down and pay homage to him. He goes from the highest position to a pathetic figure who is now begging for his life because he acted without having having all the facts, uh, and he is humiliated now that it's discovered that Esther's a Jew. If you don't lose your position, you will certainly diminish it. In the story that I read about David and the misinterpretation of his gift, the Ammonites and the Syrians are defeated in the ensuing war, And the Bible says in verse 7 of 1 Chronicles 19, And when the servants of Hadadazer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and became his servants. They weren't his servants before this. They had their own kingdom. They had their own nation. They were functioning. They were autonomous. But now because of this incredibly ill-advised overreaction and misinterpretation, a war ensues and their position is diminished Incrementally, uh, you will diminish your position, Pastor. Uh, The more you allow yourself to engage in the unnecessary battles of life, uh, your position will diminish. Uh, You lose credibility. You lose testimony. You lose reputation. Uh, People will lose confidence in you uh, as they are observing this. 
I want to close by talking about avoiding the unnecessary battles of life. We have to exercise self-control, and we have to learn to be discerning because uh, there are some necessary battles. There are battles that are worth fighting. Can you say amen? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. First Timothy 6, 12 and in verse 18, this I charge, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So there are necessary battles, and I want to declare to you this morning that those necessary battles of life are going to require all that you have. You cannot afford the diversion area and the unnecessary battles of life because they threaten the necessary ones, and they will hijack all of your faculties. And so there are some steps I think that we can take this morning to help us. The first is that you have to learn to examine your heart. And ask the question. You know, it's a good idea sometimes to ask your, to talk to yourself. And to ask yourself some very important questions. Is my perception correct? Is it based on reality? Am I living in a parallel universe, bored of a distorted filter that I've accumulated during the course of my life? Do I have all the facts? That's a great question to ask yourself. Before you go jumping to conclusions, picking up the phone, driving to somebody's house, uh, getting your Glock. (laughs) Declaring a death sentence to all Jews. Maybe, just maybe, this is an overreaction. You have to learn to restrain yourself. There are going to be some unnecessary battles that you will already be on your way to fight, and you're going to have to allow others and God and maybe from within yourself to talk you out of it. This was Abigail's role. She was able to talk David from stepping down. And remember, he is filled with wrath. He's going to kill Nabal and his male servants. He's got his men. He's angry. He's upset. Not the easiest thing to step down when you're in that mode. And that may be where some of you are at right now. You are wound up. You are on your way with your sword girded. You may have already engaged and are in the midst of uh, what God is showing you now uh, is a trivial uh, and an unnecessary battle. uh, And if you insist and persist and continue, uh, it will become your undoing. You know what else is a great idea? It's very healthy in life to learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. I know that we get cynical in life. We get burned. We get ripped off in life, and so we learn to be very cautious. We learn not to take things at face value, and I understand sometimes there's good reason for that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's wise and it's healthy to give people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes people are being genuine and real. How many times has your pastor called you? Says, hey, this is Pastor Campbell, or it could be anybody, Pastor Warner, Pastor Ruby, Pastor Mitchell. Listen, I've been thinking about you. 
in prayer, and I've been praying for you and your wife, and I just wanted to call to see how things were going. They're okay. Is there anything I can do for you, help you with? Do you need money? Do you need help? Do you need an impact team? No, I'm fine. Click. Honey! Pastor called again. He's up to something. You know, why not? Just This is just a suggestion. Why not give him the benefit of the doubt? That would have helped the king of Ammon a whole lot. It would have saved the lives of 47,000 people. You know, the other factor is that you have to learn. If you're going to be a pastor, a pastor's wife, a disciple, even a Christian, you have to learn that you cannot be a reactionary in life. Some people, you just, you know, all you have to do is, and this explosive overreaction, you have to learn sometimes even to take bullets and to take arrows and not immediately respond and not immediately react. You cannot be a reactionary in life. You have to learn to take the high road. And this is just a little piece of advice. You cannot allow your wife to determine the battles that you're going to fight, Pastor. Honey, you need to deal with this. Sometimes she can be a great asset and a great help, but with all due respect, women are emotional and they're going to pick fights that a pastor has to have the discernment. No, sweetheart. You know, wives get frustrated because their husbands aren't dealing with this and aren't dealing with that and aren't going in this direction and aren't going. Just let your husband pastor the church. You know who suggested the building of the gallows? You know who suggested the building of the gallows was Haman's wife. Oh, yeah, Haman, let's build a gallows. You need to charge forward. And she's pushing him and pressing him. And then she has to look at him hanging from the gallows that she suggested he build. There are battles worth fighting, and they will require all that you have. We have a real enemy. Can you say amen? Your enemy is not your husband, your wife, your brother, your pastor, your sisters in the Lord. You know, we make people enemies that aren't enemies. Haman made someone into an enemy that would have done him no harm in the long run apart from not bowing down to him. We don't have time. We don't have energy for the unnecessary battles of life because you cannot do both. You either are going to be consumed with an unnecessary battle of life or you are going to be reserving all of your energy, your emotion, your spiritual strength, your insight for the necessary battles of life. I got a very moving letter from a man in my church who was just deployed to Afghanistan in the month of June. This is his third tour of duty. And he wrote me this letter 
on July 3rd, the day before uh, uh, Independence Day, July 4th, and he said, Happy Independence Day. It is an honor to be deployed on a day like today, set aside to give thanks for our freedom, hoping that today you give thanks for the freedom you enjoy. And don't take it for granted. Take a moment to remember the American service member who serves uh, all around the world, making that freedom possible at a tremendous cost. There is an example of that sacrifice here with a unit that we are changing out with. The brigade command sergeant major and his son, a soldier, under his command were deployed here together. His son was in one of the battalions that are within the brigade. Last June, shortly after changing out and assuming control of this area in Afghanistan, his son was killed. Nobody can even try to imagine uh, what that commander and his family went through. Uh, for him to return home, bury his son, grieve with his family, return to the fight, and serve out his 15 months with his unit. Amazing, amazing sacrifice. This is just one example of the price that is paid on a daily basis for the freedom that we all enjoy. Thank God for freedom. Thank God for the United States military. Thank God for the United States of America. Listen. That commander knows how to pick his battles. It would be so easy for diversion, for distraction. The unnecessary battles in life seem so legitimate and necessary. He could have quit. Probably nobody would have uh, uh, thought anything of that. He's lost a son. That's enough. Uh, but this man has the foresight, the insight, the will, and the determination uh, to know that we have an enemy. Uh, that enemy needs to be confronted. Uh, no matter what it costs me personally, uh, I am going to position myself on the front lines of battle uh, and do everything that I can. Uh, what a powerful example that is for us all. Uh, we can not afford uh, the unnecessary uh, battles uh, of life. And perhaps you're here today, you're on a wrong battlefield, you're on your way to a wrong battlefield, it's not too late to step down, to pull out, and to get your life reoriented. Amen. The Lord bless you. That's all I have. Let's welcome Pastor Dave.